back to the Practicology Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to episode 107. Today we're looking at what I think is a favorite part of Pilgrim's Progress for both of us. Matthew, when Christian and his friend Hopeful get captured by giant despair and imprisoned in Doubting Castle. Mm-hmm. Some real stuff from John Bunyan's pen in chapter 7 of his allegory as they are journeying towards the delectable mountains What he pictures is not an experience that all Christians pass through. I think back to your teaching in the last episode. But it is one that a lot of Christians endure. And as Mike and I have shared with you in previous episodes, we have felt the clenched fists of giant despair. So I guess that's partly why I describe this teaching from Bunyan as real stuff. Yeah, and it was obviously real to John Bunyan. This section seems to be one of the most vivid, intense descriptions in the whole book. And we know that spiritual doubts and despair are a reality for Christian friends listening to this podcast right now. And we want to talk to you today from our hearts to yours. The story's main character named Christian is just that. He's a Christian. But despite his having the burden of his sin taken away when he came to the cross, he nonetheless passes through the dark, dark period gripped by fear and even feels he were better off dead. Believing Christians on the road to heaven, chosen in Christ and predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son, can have times like that. Trust me. We are frail creatures of dust. We are part of a fallen creation with broken psyches, with difficult trials, with particular genetic makeups and upbringings. And some Christians are particularly susceptible to that grim and surly voice of giant despair. So you're basically highlighting that uh, experiencing doubts does not mean that we're not a Christian. Obviously, we're not saying this is a prerequisite to Christian growth. This isn't a necessary experience. But but we're just pointing out people can be true believers, even though at times they may lack that assurance. We feel like if we're genuine Christians and the biggest burden of life has been removed and we've trusted in the living God, we should never be so weak or limited in our perspective to allow ourselves to suffer depression. That's how we may think at times. But we're saying this is actually a real experience for many of God's people, and it evidently has been through the ages, throughout the whole history of the church. Yeah, and I want to share a few examples of that on the podcast today. But let's pause for a moment just to give a little structure to our discussion. Here it is. Number one, Christians can have doubts, but God doesn't. Secondly, Christians suffering from depression are not alone. Thirdly, God is bigger than giant despair. Fourthly, God always keeps his promises. Firstly, then, Christians can have doubts, but God doesn't. God wants all of his people to have the assurance of salvation. But A, abiding assurance isn't a prerequisite of conversion. And B, many Christians who enjoy assurance today have had periods where they didn't. So, Mike, are you okay with those two statements? I am, I am indeed, yes. And I've shared some of my own doubts back in our episodes on deconstruction. Just search for the word doubt on our website at practicologypodcast.com and you'll find those. But yeah, we're, we're kidding ourselves to think that our weak and fragile minds can never be afflicted with doubt. Yeah, and sometimes, as it was in my own experience in my teens, sometimes it can be a product of a, a lack of Christian obedience. Sometimes it's just an accompaniment to the affliction of poor mental health. Sometimes it's because we've allowed ourselves to become exhausted. And sometimes it's because life is hard. Derek Thomas is a Presbyterian pastor in the southern U.S. 
he has given some teaching from Pilgrim's Progress as well. And when he talks about Doubting Castle, he references the letter of an older Christian sister who had been caring for her husband. And her husband had just had a stroke and has become paralyzed on one side. And now she's also had a stroke. And she wrote, I can neither cook nor wash nor garden nor carry anything nor play the organ. And then comes this awful thought. What if my bright faith has been a delusion? And then she closes with this. Where is the dear Christ of experience with whom I've walked and talked through the years? Life is so dreary without him, where before it was such a joyous thing. I suppose I shouldn't be bothering about it at age 79, but it seems to matter now more than ever. Well, that's a real Christian experience. That's my point. She was at a real difficult place in life. And even though an experienced Christian, she's still essentially saying, where is God? Maybe I'm not one of his children after all. So the difficulties of the path contributed to her doubts. In fact, that's part of the story of Christian and Hopeful in Pilgrim's Progress. They are weary in their journey, which leads them astray, and then they find themselves captured by giant despair. Trials can contribute to the doubts, and sometimes the unbelieving attacks from the skeptics of the world can shake our confidence. And I think I've shared this quote from David Gilliland on the podcast once before from a message he gave at a little conference in the state of Maine back, I think, maybe 1996. He said, if someone has never doubted their faith, they perhaps haven't thought about it very deeply. And that's not telling you that you need to try and doubt anything, beloved, but it's just acknowledging there are some big questions in the world, admittedly, and we don't always have simple answers. But that's okay. God does have answers. And I take it that's what you mean, Matthew, by <clears throat> saying that although we have doubts, God doesn't, right? Yeah, I mean, two things by that. Yes, God does have the answers to the questions we don't. So there are uncomfortable realities, maybe about suffering and evil in our world, they, they upset me. But God is the judge of all the earth and will do right. And he knows what he's doing. And none of the skeptics' attacks threaten God. And there is no challenge to the faith that his word cannot sustain. Secondly, even when a child of God is doubting God, God is not doubting them. The Lord knows his sheep. And he says, no one will ever snatch us out of his hand or the father's hand, John 10, 28 and 29. No one will take us out so that we can't take ourselves out either. And the point is, even when we doubt our ability to hang on to our faith, the Lord doesn't doubt his ability to hang on to us, I assure you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the importance of remembering that our salvation depends on Christ alone. It's, it's not ultimately dependent on me. It's dependent on him. And, uh, and nothing will take him down. He is the rock of my salvation, and he is fully reliable. He will see us through. Amen. It's a good reminder for all of us. So let's come to our second point. Christians suffering from depression are not alone, and it's nothing new. That's why Bunyan put it in a story that he wrote back in the 1700s. More than that, it's why God has given us the words of Heman the Ezraite as part of inspired scripture in Psalm 88. Listen to these words, brothers and sisters, from this cry of desperation and despair unique in that unlike other psalms of lament it doesn't turn to joy and hope at the end it's it's just all dark maybe you've been stuck in a dark period for a good wee while now and you're you're waiting and waiting and waiting for light to dawn and you've heard of others who've been in periods of darkness and theirs has passed but yours still hasn't passed well thanks for listening but one of the purposes of psalm 88 is god's reminder to you today that you're not alone here's a selection from psalm 88 I have had enough troubles, and my life is near shale. I am counted among those going down to the pit. I am like a man without strength, abandoned among the dead. 
I am like the slain lying in the grave whom you no longer remember and who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest part of the pit, in the darkest places, in the depths. Your wrath weighs heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. I am shut in and cannot go out. My eyes are worn out from crying, Lord. I cry out to you all day long. I spread out my hands to you. I call to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer meets you. Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? The closing verse 18, you have distanced loved one and neighbor from me. Darkness is my only friend. Hmm. Wow, heavy stuff, hey? Uh, so glad, though, that, that it's in the scriptures. Yeah, and it is heavy stuff. And honestly, Mike, when I read that, I get a little bit uncomfortable because it brings back some vivid memories to seeing some others in some very dark places and to my own periods of darkness, too. I'm not there now, thank the Lord, but... Honestly, it was a little frightening, I'll be honest, and it's uh, it's a little upsetting to think about. That's what I meant earlier when I said this is some real stuff from Bunyan. And you mentioned this earlier this year too, Matthew, when we talked about our struggle some. Uh, you gave a book title that referenced the closing words of that psalm, and, and I think you said that someone sent you that book, right? <laughs> someone did, yes, and I don't know who. Evidently a listener of the podcast. That definitely wasn't my expectation of mentioning the book, but whoever you are, thank you very much. I haven't got into it thoroughly yet, but um, maybe this is a good time to mention someone I was going to mention anyhow, because I noticed in that book that Mark Maynell references, he references another book, the title of which I'm not going to mention on the podcast, but it's a book about Charles Spurgeon's battle with depression. You see, you might think that good Christians surely won't experience depression. And if I was just a better Christian, then I wouldn't have this problem. And you then add the heavy cloak of guilt to your already burdened shoulders. Well, I happen to think that Spurgeon was a good Christian. And he was mightily used of God. And he also endured tremendous bouts of depression. So Christian, you aren't alone in walking this journey. William Cooper was an 18th century hymn writer. When we see his name, we think it might be pronounced Cowper, but an English friend has told me that it's Cooper. William Cooper was an 18th century hymn writer. He wrote 68 hymns, I think, including There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Cooper also suffered at times from a tortured mind. When he was 32 years old, he was about to be made clerk of journals in Parliament, a fantastic career opportunity, but it overwhelmed Cooper with fear. He had a total mental breakdown and was put into an asylum. He later experienced vicious attacks of spiritual doubt concerning his own salvation, and there were multiple attempts at suicide at different periods of his life, even though he was a believer. John Newton was a faithful friend to him through all this, but Cooper still struggled. Yet following one of those suicide attempts, Cooper penned a hymn that was first titled, Conflict, Light Shining Out of Darkness. What a title. Conflict, Light Shining Out of Darkness. We know it with these lyrics. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. It continues, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break and blessings on your head. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. And beloved, I can assure you, I can assure you there is light after the darkness. There is a sweetness that is only appreciated after the bitterness is first tasted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Matthew, you've raised the sensitive issue of suicide. It's there in Pilgrim's Progress too. 
to picture the spiritual, emotional, mental anguish that believers sometimes experience. Bunyan portrays Christian and hopeful being physically beaten by giant despair and then challenging them to end their suffering by taking their own life. He's baiting them. He's just leaving it to them to, to take their own life. And Christian, at one point, he says, surely the grave is to be desired rather than this dungeon. And in a tender scene, Hopeful stabilizes the mind of his friend, Christian. But then giant despair attacks again. And again, Christian is inclined to take his own life. That is a real experience for real Christians at times, sadly. But in the story, Hopeful again encourages him, like John Newton did to William Cooper. And might I add, like we want to do for any troubled listeners today, I think, I think the first comfort is just hearing these people in history and in scripture who were tempted this way. Uh, John Bunyan may well himself have been tempted when he lay there in that Bedford jail to take his own life. It seemed so hopeless, and Satan attacked him again and again. I've been reading his biography by Faith Cook. And, uh, and so Bunyan knew this temptation. And Matthew and I just want to tell you, listener, the sincere, honest truth that suicide is never the answer. There are people who love you dearly. They may not know just how heavy your depression is right now, but reach out and get help if you need to. Uh, to others we say, check in on those you may be worried about. But friends, the Lord can bring you through this. He'll carry you when you can't walk the road yourself. And that's another aspect to your title for this section, Matthew. Christians suffering from depression are not alone. Right. Even if you don't sense his presence, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He sees you, he loves you, and he will bring you into his heavenly kingdom in his time. So even though things look bleak, this is a reminder that we're walking by faith and not by sight. I have scanned some of Mark Maynell's book that we mentioned. At one point, he says he knows the circumstances are not identical, but he says, I do sometimes wonder if the spiritual pain of mental illness is akin to the bewilderment of that middle Saturday, the day between Christ's death and resurrection. Believers in Jesus who had walked beside him now could not see him and only knew that he'd been taken from them. So Maynell continues, it took an extraordinary encounter with the risen Jesus to stop them in their tracks and send them hurtling back to Jerusalem. There have been many days, he says, when I have prayed for such an encounter with Christ, or at least to have greater consolations of his grace and depression's fog. But for reasons only he can know, it has not happened like that. I have had to cling to the knowledge that he is a reliable friend on the way. Jesus, therefore, is not only one in whom we begin walking along the way, nor is he simply the goal of the way. He also accompanies us along the way. Perhaps, Maynell adds, that explains why one of my favorite verses from any hymn is the final verse of Johnny Bode's, Oh, Jesus, I have promised. It reads like this. Oh, let me see thy footmarks and in them plant my own. My hope to follow duly is in thy strength alone. Oh, guide me, call me, draw me, uphold me to the end, and then in heaven receive me, my Savior and my friend. You're not alone, brothers and sisters. And our third point today, while those times of despair may seem not only like a, like a black dog following you around, but indeed like a large, oppressive giant, remember God is bigger than the giant. He is bigger than giant despair. And Hopeful knew that while they were in the dungeon. He says to Christian, who knows, but that God who made the world may cause the giant to die. Yeah, and when they do make their escape, 
uh, the opening of the creaking gate awakens the giant who jumps out of his bed to pursue his prisoners. But then Bunyan writes, he was seized by one of his fits and, and lost the use of his limbs. It's humorous, but it's wonderful because it's a little reminder from Bunyan that giant despair has a limit to his might. There is, you could say, someone bigger than him who is also at work and maybe he's put giant despair on a leash and, and there he puts an end to what he allows giant despair to afflict on his children. Amen. And just to give a scripture reference to support God's ultimate, eventual, and inexorable victory over giant despair, listen to the words of Revelation 21. God himself will be with his people and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. Amen. And with that reference to Bible prophecy, I think you're getting us to our final point, Matthew, which you have titled, God Always Keeps His Promises. And of course, we need to explicitly discuss God's promise. This is the title of our episode. I have a key called Promise. It is a classic line from Pilgrim's Progress. And I think, Mike, probably one of your favorite lines, isn't it? It is, yes. Um, so <clears throat> what's happening is, that, I mean, they've just been in this dungeon for so long and, and suffered so much despair, right? And then they begin to pray. And uh, interestingly enough, it's Sunday morning when it finally hits Christian. Mm -hmm. On Sunday morning, he says, what a fool I am to lie <laughs> in a stinking dungeon when I might instead walk at liberty. He says, I have a key in my bosom called promise. Oh. that I believe will open any lock in Doubting Castle. And you and I were having a laugh about this before we started recording, Matthew, but the most amazing thing about this story is what Hopeful says next. You know, he doesn't say, you, you <laughs> idiot, you know, why didn't you think of this three days ago? He says, that is good news, good brother. Take it out and let's try. It's very, very impressive. But Bunyan is illustrating, of course, that Christian had this key all along. Yeah. Uh, this key called promise. Yeah, it was right there in his bosom, by his heart. And once reminded of it, he could put it to good use. And sometimes we just need a reminder of the great and precious promises of God that we know so well through his word in the gospel. This is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life, 1 John 2, 25. And God always keeps his promises, beloved. We live, Titus 1 says, in the hope of eternal life that God who cannot lie promised before time began. And that eternal promise has been revealed to us in the gospel. I'm thinking now of 2 Corinthians 1.20. For every one of God's promises is yes in Christ. In other words, God's promises come to fulfillment through the crucified and resurrected Christ. As sure as so many of God's ancient promises have already been fulfilled in Christ, so will the promises that remain, they will be fulfilled in Christ. Do you believe that the Lord Jesus was delivered for your offenses and raised again for your justification? Then take that same key of gospel promise in Christ and keep applying it to your life. Keep turning that key. I love how that one key in Pilgrim's Progress, that one key opens the dungeon door and the same key opens the door to Castle Yard and the same key opens the iron gate to allow their final escape from Doubting Castle. God will not fail in his purposes for Christ, so neither will he fail in his commitment to us who are in Christ. In Bunyan's 
autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, he speaks of his own experiences in Doubting Castle. He says, a great cloud of darkness which did so hide from me the things of God and Christ that I was as if I had never seen or known them in my life. He says, after I had been in this condition some three or four days as I was sitting by the fire, I suddenly felt this word to sound in my heart. I must go to Jesus. Which is just like Christian finding the key in his bosom. Yeah, and he he said he sat there trying to think of a scripture that speaks explicitly of going to Jesus. Was there such a scripture? And Hebrews 12 came to his mind. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Bunyan says, Christ was a precious Christ to my soul that night. And that 12th of Hebrews was a blessed scripture to me for many days together after this. Now, I love all of that. I think it's beautiful. I do, however, also want to give a little caution here sort of to ourselves, Mike. We we shouldn't think that, you know, delivering friends from giant despair and doubting castle is just as easy as texting them Hebrews 12 or telling them to believe God's promises. You know, what's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> I agree. Um, yeah, just just trust God, you know, just trust God, shake it off. Sometimes in a season of spiritual discouragement, a verse of scripture, a poem, or a message can can be a huge help to someone. But there are also some periods of true clinical depression where it just isn't that easy. Yeah, and we aren't doctors and we aren't mental health professionals, so we're not pretending to be. I'll just I'll take a minute to cite a few things from Mark Manel's book, which he has written, particularly to people in Christian ministry dealing with depression, but it certainly has broader applications. But just a few things he mentions as helps to manage the symptoms to keep functioning despite being followed around by this black dog of depression at times. He says, it is key to know yourself. Learn what triggers your anxiety, for example. Identify techniques that work for you in alleviating some of those overwhelming emotions. It can be at times something as simple as some extended deep breaths. Take some steps to develop resilience in your life. Maybe that will include some professional help. And make sure you find ways to rest. That may include a hike. That may include a time away, but we can't function at warp speed in our work for extended periods without burning out. But he reminds us wisely that when we want to reach out for help, of course, consider friends and professionals, but don't forget reaching out to God in prayer. We are spirit, soul, and body, one united person. It's all related. God is real, and he hears your cries, and he will keep his promises to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks, Matthew. This is... uh... This has been a deep and heavy episode, but you have taken us through it very helpfully. And uh, I pray that it will be an encouragement to many, many listeners. You know, um, Matthew, of course, as we come to the end, we think about the author of this book, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan. We've mentioned the battles he faced. And uh, and I mentioned his biographer, Faith Cook. And she says in, in her book about him, she says, It has been said that Satan made a serious blunder in his vicious assaults on the young tinker so soon after his conversion. For in so doing, Satan handed to Bunyan a key of hope. And uh, there's times when Satan goes too far, you know. He attacks too hard. And what this did in Bunyan's life was produce a pilgrim who was equipped by trials to bring massive comfort and hope to many, many others who would similarly be attacked by Satan. And so we have 
uh, Bunyan to think that he went through this, that he reached into his pocket and found that precious key called promise. May it open doors. May it help you through dark times as well. Everyone who's listening, may the Lord bless this word to you. Yeah, may the Lord encourage you all. And we hope you'll come back for one final episode of going through the story of Pilgrim's Progress. Mm -hmm.